All right, everyone. Well, welcome to TBOX Chatter. I am your humble host, Alexander Ta. And today I am joined by Bill Bales, who is the founder of Clarity Golf. And actually, his background in the art of simulators or the technology of simulators is astounding. So instead of hearing it from the horses, ours, we're going to hear it from the horses mouth instead. So, Bill, thank you so much for joining me today on TBOX Chatter. Thank you, Alex. It's great to, to talk to you. So, I mean, we are going to jump into Clarity Golf uh, down, you know, a few minutes from this conversation. But, uh, I mean, you've been in golf technology and just technology in general for X amount of years. How long has it been? Yeah, a little over 30 years, 34 years maybe, yeah. So, 34 years, I mean, you the, the technology that's out there that you've seen, I mean, and, and uh, you know, you've watched grow over the past 34 years must be staggering. Well, there's, you know, in my world, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you've seen a lot of changes. I, I started out really in, in the in the very early days of microcomputers. So, I mean, that was, that was be really, I mean, it was right around the time of Nintendo um, when they first, when Nintendo first came out. So it was after some of the early, like Atari and Pong and that sort of stuff. But, but um you know, there really weren't, there really wasn't much going on relative to game consoles. And uh, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't sufficient PC processing um, to really do much with uh, like sports games. And, uh, but, you know, golf was, golf was one of those sports games that you could actually do with very low processing because compare, you know, like for instance, if you have a, like Madden football, you got 22 guys moving all at once and in in, uh, in, in golf in a golf uh, simulation you just had a self-frame animation maybe 30 frames of a guy swinging and then about six pixels of white sort of flying up in the air in landing so it was it was it was not what we call uh heavy weight uh processing needed and so um you, you know i remember in 1995 um I'll get, I'll actually back up in a minute, but in 1995, uh, I was told that a study done what said that uh, more than 50% of all of the sports computer sports games were golf. And it's, it's just, just simply because you couldn't really do much. You can do, you know, there were other things you could do like curling and, you know, <laughs> and, and crazy stuff, but there wasn't really much you could do of the main sports. Um, but I started 1988. I, you know, I, my brother, my brother uh, was is eight years younger, and he was one of those uh, sort of mainframe nerds in high school and college, where he, you know, with the Mountain Dew cans and the pizza boxes, and you know, <laughs> spending, sleeping and spending all night with the in these big mainframe rooms. And he always was fascinated with the with developing a golf game. There was a game called 3M game called. Uh, um thinking man's golf and it was just you roll the dice and you had a little chart and you aimed it and then you rolled the dice and it told you how far out and how far over it went and it was just kind of a little strategic game and he always loved that game and he so what he started doing on a mainframe is programming a version of thinking man's golf on the computer and you know he had done that through through high school and through college and then after college and 
I went to him, you know, I had read all about this stuff about the growth of the software industry. So I you know, went to my brother and there's actually a parallel story relative to the PGA tour to this, but um, uh, this is something I hate to admit here, but I, you know, <laughs> when I went to my brother, I said, why don't we go in the software business? And he, I said, I see all this growth. And he said, yeah, great. Let's do it. I, and I said, well, what should we do? He said, well, we should do a golf game, a, you know, dummy. I mean, I've, I've been building this thing. I said, yep. All right. So just one question. What, what exactly is software? You know, I, 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 I was clueless, you know, I didn't have a computer. I, I never, you know, I never done it. So, you know, so that was, that was how we got started. And then we, we produced a game ourselves that got really high reviews and, um, uh, golf digest rated as the best, you know, golf game on the market and stuff like that, but we didn't sell a lot, but then that was at though, you know, in the very early days of, you know, in the software world, a little company could actually self publish, you know, right. and, and go through distributors and deal with big retailers, but that ended very quickly. So we ended up making a, a huge deal in 95 with a company called Grolier, which is an uh, encyclopedia company. It was a division of Matra Hachette, like a giant company. It was bigger than Microsoft at the time. They make jets and trains and, and uh, you know, they make garage fighter jets and buses and, and, they, and huge publishing division, magazines, everything. Anyway, so, but the son of the owner was a gamer. And so that, so we, you know, we had all this competition among big publishers, but Grolier just offered us a huge amount of money. So we did a deal with Grolier, but then the kid, the kid lost interest less than a year later. And so Grolier, you know, wanted to, to move on. And so I literally, I had read an article about Microsoft and was sitting on a plane. I, I read an article about Microsoft being uh their game division being equivalent to the third largest game company in the world and i thought what the heck so i i literally you know i don't think you could even do it now but i i literally called the switchboard you know microsoft's main number right oh, wow. and i asked for the guy that you know ran the game division and they put me through and i left a voicemail for him and literally like two hours later i get a call from one of his people saying uh when can we come visit you Oh my you know, it was goodness. just one of those perfect timing things. You know, they were you they were working with a company that actually was the uh, the roots of what's now called TrueGolf that makes a product called E6 for simulators. Right. But they had just you know decided they didn't want to do business with them anymore, and they were in need of a of a golf game. And they were in my office like two days later, and we made a big publishing deal. So we did Microsoft Golf, and then uh, just sort of clock forward really fast uh you know that the golf game sort of waned and um my crew didn't want to work with microsoft anymore so we we dumped microsoft went into some adver gaming stuff but but in 2002 that led us into simulators with a company called about golf and that was my first simulator company and fast forward today now we're clarity <laughs> That's, that's an amazing story. And if you don't mind me asking, what was that first title that you and your brother developed? What was the name of that game? Oh, it was actually a funny story there. It was called Ultimate Challenge Golf. Ultimate Challenge Golf. And uh, yeah, it was, we actually released it in the early 90s. And you know, it, didn't get a lot of, it didn't get a lot of coverage. I saw one, I saw one on eBay a while ago there, you know, for like 
$150 or something like it was some sort of, you know, golden gem from the past. It actually was, you know, it's actually, it's actually still the best PC or computer, any, any uh, processing best golf game. I personally, I ever played, I loved it, but it was, it was like a top view. The first version was EGA 16 colors um, you know, now you got millions of colors, right? And um, uh, it was just a top view and you just saw a little ball moving, but it was a strategy game and it was very, very deep. It was very realistic. You know, I mean, you know, you could, nobody ever shot lower than 62 ever, you know, on tour. That was at that time, you know, other than Al Guyberger, that was about the lowest round. The average rounds were, you know, it was a pro level player. The average round was around 70 or 71, which is what the average, you know, tour player was shooting at the time. Exactly. And uh, it was, you know, and people just people that had it just got addicted to it. Um, but everything went went in the way of graphics. And, you know, it was just all about graphics and and, you know, features and stuff like that. So there are no. And, you know, there are no realistic golf games anymore. You know, I think Clarity will probably bring that back at some point in time as a smartphone game. But it was very it was very, very different back in those days, you know. And but the funny story about Ultimate Challenge was that. So we made a deal. It, I th it was actually, I think, the largest sports publishing deal in history at the time. You know, it was like uh, with Grolier, it was a guarantee of like more than $2 million. And, um, and then we also got uh, three quarters of a million for Greg Norman, who at that time was number one in the world. And by, you know, he was sort of the Tiger Woods of the time, although right. he was, you know, wasn't as big as Tiger got at all. But, um, but at that time we got, we got him a guarantee of $750,000. That was by more than double the largest sports endorsement at that point in the history of game endorsements. But that was in 1995, and in, in, in uh, late 1996, uh, EA made a deal with Tiger Woods for $10 million. Yeah. <laughs> so just blew it out of the water. But the funny thing is, so we got $2 million out of Grolier, but, but then they, they, they hired up, uh, an ad firm to research what they should call it, okay? And they, they, you know, they hadn't done any homework. They didn't know anything about it. They apparently hadn't researched our prior game anyway. They came back and they said that they decided that they were, they wanted to uh, name the game ultimate challenge golf. The same title that you had the same title. And we actually owned the trademark to it. So no um, that's amazing. Yeah, so we sold it. We asked, uh, so we got another 25,000 of them to sell them the trademark. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's amazing. Those were crazy. They were crazy. Those are crazy times. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, I think about my, about my youth and, you know, of course, first system that I ever had was Pong, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, of course we all know what happened with Atari and then the likes of Intellivision came along. And, you know, that was actually one of the first golf games I played was the one for Intellivision, believe it or not. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I feel like I'm going down the stroll, uh, you know, down, down memory lane with you right now with, uh, with, yeah. with the gaming aspect of things. And, and it's amazing how all of all that transpired and became eventually where you got to with about golf, who, if you've been to any of the uh, PGA shows for anyone listening, you've definitely seen the about golf booths 
and and simulators on the show floor. I mean, they're I I think one of the top uh, simulators, if not the top simulator out there, without a doubt. You know, the, 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 I would say I would say the what I would call the intelligentsia in the in the indoor golf world, I th would generally uh, agree that about golf if, is to, even today is the is the the best or at least you know at the top of the game as far as the intellectual property. Um, I ran about golf. I found it in two thousand and two, and I ran it uh, really till two thousand ten, and then came back a little what for a little bit in 2012 um i i left i left for family reasons um having to do with illness of my wife and um but um i'm trying to figure out why that rang anyway sorry so <laughs> anyway right. <laughs> um anyway so um yeah, the company has not done nearly as well since i left but they had a they had a pretty good year last year. They were I would say they were top top five in the U.S. But the market has exploded so much, and uh, Foresight, which is the leader right now, as far you know in volume, just because they have the, a great launch monitor, and 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 they're a great company. And I know the engineering company behind them; they have an outstanding product. And uh, you know where where when I was running about golf, we replaced hundreds of full swing systems with about golf technology I, you know uh, in in certain markets foresight has replaced hundreds of about golf systems um and I, you know that's very disappointing to me because you know but but the, the about golf's ip has not you know their tracking ip significantly has not advanced since 2008 so uh, you know, we're talking 14 years. That that's that's 10 lifetimes in the tech business. Yeah, so see, that's a long um, time. But, you know, and then you know, but it, oddly, full swing is is it does incredibly well with you know. I'll get in trouble for saying this with you know, which is semi mediocre IP, but it's amazing. You know, it shows what you can do with great marketing. So I my hats off to them. If they had if they had a good product, they they don't they'd rule the world. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, you know, and then we're at Clarity and, you know, we've got a few magic tricks up our sleeve that nobody's seen yet. But we'll see what happens. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is a perfect time to bring Clarity Golf into the conversation, which is the reason why you're here today in the first place. Um, so Clarity Golf, uh, you know, you have a few things going on there. Um, so let, let's start with the beginning of, of Clarity Golf. Um, what's your... What's your, what's, what's your mission statement? If you have one, what is your mission statement with Clarity Golf? I've never thought about what, what, a, what a published mission statement would be, but, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, I remember I was in the, in the dot-com days, there was a, a, a scam artist that raised a huge amount of money and got some, got a bunch of URLs and started a bunch of sort of shell companies in various areas. One of them was an online golf retailer. As it turned out, the whole thing was a huge scam and they had just stole all the money and sort of front it, you know, put up a front with these things till they got the money out of the country. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, 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 but the people they hired to run these companies, including this golf retail online retail company was you know, they, they all thought it was real and they were all gung ho and these guys were pumping money into it. And, 
and um, we sold them, a, made a big sale to them. And uh, they invited me to their, uh, they hired a management, one of these management guys, you know, that gets up there for three days and talks about mission statements and, and, uh, you know, all that MBA kind of stuff. And, you know, we went, they ran around the table and said, what, what would your, what should your mission statement be? And, you know, I, I said to own an island, um, you know, I, I don't really know. I was at, I was sort of asked that question in an interview recently. And I said, uh, my mission is to put all my competitors out of business. So I guess that's it. I mean, I'm, I mean, I don't really care about money, but I'm a very competitive guy. And, you know, I die a thousand deaths anytime somebody buys, you know, from a competitor and, you know, right now we're nobody. So, you know, we 99 point, you know, 109 percent uh, go to somebody else. So, you know, I, I had to get over the dying a thousand deaths, but right now we're, um, so I guess, you know, we're, if I'm going to give you a kind of more sensible answer is that, you know, our goal right now is to create, um, you know, a third, what I call a third paradigm of, uh, launch monitor, which translates also to simulators, uh, technology. Um, you know, the, I consider the first major, you know, there, there was a, there were a bunch of toys in the old days, but I consider the first paradigm of, of tracking or, or launch tracking to be phased array radar, which would equate to track man and flight scope. Right. That architecture was actually developed by flight scope. And we worked with flight scope at the beginning and poured a lot of our own money into developing an indoor golf derivative of technology they were using out uh, in like caged ranges and ranges in Asia. And, um, you know, but that phased array radar technology that now TrackMan has made very famous and made an incredible brand is that's really long range ballistic tracking. So it's, it's not, it's not really, the right te technology to measure a ball for like 10 feet of flight right. in a simulator. And some people are getting closer and closer. You know, we used to have them at 15. Um, you know, there are people now that are hitting, you know, wanting to be seven, eight, nine feet from the screen because of space limitations. But um, so, I mean, you know, like for instance, radar cannot, cannot measure or really do anything to get spin axis. So, um, you know, they, they look at clubs and stuff like that to, to sort of guesstimate it. But, but if you want to know the exact axis of your shot, there's no way in, indoors, there's no way you're going to do it with track man or flight scope or, you know, with phased array radar. And, uh, but it, but they've done an amazing job of, you know, of faking it, you know, <laughs> you know, faking it, not in a bad way. You know, yeah, no, no, way. I know what you mean. You know, you, you, yeah. you fake it till yeah. you make it basically, <laughs> you know, I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, they do a wonderful job. Okay. But, but if, but if you, you know, if you want to know the, the actual axis, uh, you can't do it just sort of backing up, um, after I, after I left about golf, I founded another company that we started a little slowly. I, I sort of, sort of, sort of gave the finger to the world for a number of years after I lost my wife and, and whatnot. But, um, but I started a company called Yakker Tech and Yakker Tech, uh, it, I'm not, uh, I'm associated with Yakker Tech, but I, I, I actually traded it to, to my 
partner for Clarity and another company last year. But um, Yacker Tech is the world state of the art in baseball tracking. So I, actually, it's technology that would work in golf. In fact, it does work with golf. But, but we decided to take it into baseball instead of golf initially. You know, and and the big area, the big area of analysis in baseball is pitching, and the pitching industry is actually near in size to the golf industry. You know, when you because MLB, you know, some of these guys pay get paid more than fifteen thousand dollars a pitch. You know, yeah, yeah, and uh, pitchers, <laughs> and there's injury issues and all that. Well, a really, really important thing in analyzing pitching is knowing spin axis. Okay. Right. I mean, that it's not, it's not critical in, it's not really that critical in golf other than, you know, figure out if it's going right or left, you know, yeah. but in baseball, a very important component of, of axis is what we call rifle spin or uh, gyro spin. Okay. Now in, in golf, really the only shots that have a lot of rifle spin are shanks and who cares about the, the launch <laughs> conditions of a shank? You exactly. want to forget about those, right? But um, but in baseball, rifle spin mitigates movement. Okay, it's like you know when they scored the inside of the rifle to make the bullet spin spiral like that. Right. That was to keep that's to keep it straight. Okay, so there are pitchers that will throw at 27, 2800 RPMs. Let's say, you know, a little over three thousand would be the mo- the highest for a pitch. But let's say they throw a pitch at 27, 2800 RPMs. Well, some, some pitchers throw with, with very little gyro spin and some with a lot of gyro spin. And you want to work that gyro spin out because it mitigates movement, you know, and a curveball, you want it to curve, right? So um, there, you know, so there's a formula for figuring so-called effective spin. And literally there are major league pitchers at 27 RPMs that have an effective spin at 22, 23, 2,500 RPMs. But there are some that that'll have as low as five to seven hundred RPMs of effective spin because of the gyro spin element. So that's why Yakertex uh, imaging technologies become state of the art in baseball. It's in Yankee Stadium, you know. So, um, but um, uh, today, you know, so now we're getting into obviously that the first paradigm I consider phased array radar. The second paradigm, uh, you know. Uh, sophisticated versions of imaging cameras, high-speed photography, right. uh, referred to as machine vision. And in spite of uh, at least one competitor's claims, um, you know, I maintain that the Golf was the first company to bring true machine vision to indoor golf. And that was uh, January, 2008 at the PGA show. That was the, uh, the uh, flight scope. We were using flight scope radar systems and we had, we were spending a quarter of a million dollars at this show. And we had a whole bunch of simulators on the floor and they all had the radar and we got them all set up and they all kept crashing. And uh, you know, so here I am, I'm spending, I mean, for me spending in that business, spending a quarter of a million dollars, it's, that's not like Microsoft stops spinning. I mean, that's my life, right? So, exactly. um, and nothing worked. And here we are on Wednesday morning. The show starts Thursday morning and nothing works. As it turns out, FlightScope made a hardware change that they didn't disclose to us. Uh-oh. And it conflicted with our software. 
Well, interestingly, we had been developing, you know, our imaging system, but we weren't ready to, you know, to take it mainstream, but we had brought, we had brought it with us because we were going to set up a, we actually had set up a couple of simulators in a meeting room with the new technology, the imaging technology, just for private demonstrations just to say, this is what's coming. Well, the good news is that thanks to me, in fact, I'm incredibly anal, uh, we had a whole bunch of cameras, so we had enough to change over all our systems on the floor to the to the vision, except, you know, we had issues, and the biggest issue was our, our we needed marked balls. Well, we had had a manufacturer just very recently make us some marked balls, but, um, you know, it wasn't a perfect situation because they painted on the outside of the balls. The best way to do it is you paint it and then you put a coat over top. That's that's like all the ball companies. If they type Titleist on it, then they put this coating over. So the Titleist part paint won't wear off and stuff. Anyway, right. so so what was happening was we were testing it and and it worked fine. But except for the the every time the spinning ball hit the screen, it left a big black mark from because the paint cracked off. Right. So, so, so here we got, so we got, we have our team working literally all night, Wednesday night, getting these things set up, calibrated and working fine. But also uh, we had to run over to Walmart and get a toaster oven. And we were baking these balls in a toaster <laughs> oven all night so that the paint would, you know, cure onto the ball. So it wouldn't crack off on the screens and, nine o'clock when the show opened it was about probably about 8 45 they gave me the thumbs up and said we're okay oh my god <laughs> what a story that is yeah. wild that yeah. is <laughs> yeah and it was and it turned out to be a huge hit and and you know it like it like accelerate us into the app into the stratosphere at that point it was you know we had a we had a very disruptive leap in technology when we had launched radar in 2000 end of 2002 and then this turned out to be another big disruptive leap and everybody other than the the two radar guys i mean everybody moved to move to you know to sort of mirror our architecture in one way or the other and and really the modern simulators and launch monitors are all now you know other than other than trackman really are applying that technology and by june 1st 2008 literally four months later um we went worldwide exclusively only imaging so we had to hustle but but we got it yeah because of course you know and for those listening i mean once stuff is on the floor at that PGA show, everybody and their uncle knows about it, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, and yeah. they see a good idea. Well, let's maybe try to reinvent that wheel, so to speak. Yeah. You know, we used to, every year we had, we had some innovations, whether it was in the software design or we were the first integrated force plates. We were the first integrated, uh, you know, video, you know, in, in a, in a very advanced way. And we, you know, we had a lot of, we had many firsts. We had first with seamless screens and first with quiet screens. And, you know, I mean, it was just a really long list. And, and every year, every year, um, you know, our competitors would come over. And then the next year, you know, we'd see, we'd see competitors with, you know, copying what we had done. And, um, 
literally one year <laughs> we caught one our our largest competitor we ca- we caught one of their guys <laughs> literally this was so hilarious literally with a with a briefcase that had a camera hidden in it videoing everything no we, we, no we caught him i said hey you can video anything <laughs> you want actually ask any questions we'll answer them for you you don't have to you know it's like jethro bodine you know double knot spy coming in there <laughs> i mean that's all i picture is like a movie or like just like a like one of those B movies, though. Like not even like a good like yeah. blockbuster. I'm talking like a B. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. is amazing. Oh that my was god! When we had when we had I, I should be doing this to to TrackMan and FlightScope, but I would never do it. But we we when we were doing radar, the big the big counter to to us because we were so much more accurate than everybody else. So it was just a shock to the industry. And, um, you know, there wasn't a, we didn't have a customer for two years that came into our office that didn't buy our product, you know, if they were going to buy, but, um, uh, the big pitch by a number of our competitors for a while was that our radar system would cause cancer. Oh, literally they would tell people that they told people that the electromagnetic radiation from the, from the radar signal. Wow. That's. I mean, I know yeah. it's I know it's business, but that's dirty pool. That that's a whole another yeah. uh, level of, of business. Yeah, well, especially because it was. I mean, like a cell phone. You know, a cell phone to your ear is like five thousand times more radiation than if you held a, a radar device up to your ear. Okay, and um, it might be five hundred times. But but the thing is, is that the, 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 the electromagnetic radiation disperses very quickly and in a wide band. So, yeah. so I actually went to, to, I, I went to the per, a person in academia, a professor who uh, was by my, all my research, the most um, whacked out extremist on, you know, mag, on electromagnetic radiation and cancer. This was a person that was guaranteeing everybody in the world that they would get brain cancer from using cell phones. Okay. And um, so I went to that person and I had that person analyze our stuff. And she said, there's zero risk. It's like, it was like, uh, if we did the math, if you stand on the T and hit shots, being away from the radar, it's like three ten thousandths of the the maximum allowable level for residential or, you know, for, for mainstream, which was like one fifth of what the level was for commercial uh, businesses. So, you know, but, but they were saying it caused cancer. Um, So what are the products that you have going or that, you know, upon leading up to this interview or the podcast uh, recording, uh, there's one product that you have there uh, called the nano that I find very, I mean, I find that very appealing as someone who, you know, lives in a very small apartment, but has never been able to swing a club to uh, really to, to play. So can you fill us in on, on the Nano? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the Nano, well, the Nano concept, it's it's actually some fairly broad science. And we've got, we've got a, a so-called omnibus provisional patent file that's, that's, that will break out into several patent applications. Um, it's just basically... I mean, in the broadest sense, nano is is a, is a is, is kind of a little body of science related to uh, enabling uh, 
one to, you know to maximize the the capabilities of a golf simulator with uh, various space limitations. Sometimes it's width, sometimes it's height, sometimes it's depth, sometimes it's two two of the three or all three. And um, you know the actual the actual what I you know kind of call the classic nano product has not been brought to market and won't be brought to market until um, we complete some proprietary tracking technology, proprietary software, but we have algorithms ready to go to, to apply to it. But, but so at the, at, at the, at the lowest level, at the simplest level, uh, nano, you know, we basically done lots of research on like basically what, you know, the swing footprint and how to get around uh, a smaller space. And, you know, it, and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's really case by case, we call it simulator fitting. Um, so as, you know, just a quick example, we have a customer that has a, a like an attic. And um, so we just said, basically, we, you know, we just, we know exactly how, you know, how to optimize, you know, his being able to play in that space, whether it's, you know, offsetting for right or left or, whatever, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's not that other people can't do it. It's just that we know exactly, you know, what all the possibilities are and how to make it as close to a normal simulator as possible, whether it's offsets or in some cases, for instance, we've developed the science for uh, building shorter clubs throughout the whole range of clubs, but shorter clubs that will swing and feel just like the longer version okay so you know and then so as an example um like a driver is typically like three inches longer than a three wood you know or it could easily be three inches longer than a three wood well that three inches may be all you need okay right right so you might just need to make a shorter driver but um but 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 yet when you shorten the driver now it doesn't feel like your regular driver so um actually one of our one of our uh partners in our R&D division is a professor at the University of Sherbrooke in Quebec in the eastern counties and um, he was uh, Nike, Nike's uh, our, uh, academic advisor for Nike Golf oh. and one of the things he did for Nike was develop uh, science for actually it was the other way around but he, developed, he, he created the algorithms to make a 48 inch driver feel like a 45 inch driver Okay, but the algorithms apply going the other direction. So we use his algorithms and then we custom, so we can custom build pers a person, a driver that's shorter or any other club that's shorter that feels like, feels like uh, the regular length club. And then we've got algorithms that will be within our software that will identify if it's a shorter club, but well, it's just, a, you know, that's not, it's a, that's just a, a, a method. And then an algorithm that will take the launch conditions that are measured and translate that into the launch conditions that would have been if they had their regular driver so that it so that the shot that gets portrayed is the shot that would have been with their longer driver. But now now all they've done is say shorten a driver by three inches and now they can play their full set and they're in a, in a good bit smaller room at the other extreme. We shorten all the clubs. And we raise up the hitting area. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. That means, okay. Okay. So in other words, if it, you know, so like, I mean, it, it's like pretend pretend you're in a flat lie and you're standing in a flat lie, 
but the but the the hitting area is higher but the clubs are designed to 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 look and feel and you know and lie on the grain you know th this includes that this involves uh flattening the the lie angle of the club quite a bit in relative terms but by flattening it doing things with weighting we, add, we literally add an extraordinary amount of weight and and then it's it when you swing it feels like the regular club we had 150 club pros that came through and tried it out um at the pj merchandise show and i can tell you 150 if there were 150 150 looked at it shook their heads and said i'm not even gonna hit a shot this is this is crazy no way jose 150 but the but of the 150 that got on it they all got religion after two or three swings at the most really Total religion they said i cannot tell i cannot tell the difference this feels exactly like i'm playing with a regular length club but yet we had it in a in a space that was 10 foot wide with a with an eight foot ceiling and it was like the you know something you could put in a 10 by 14 foot you can even go in a 10 by 12 foot bedroom you know, or say three meters by four meters with three meter ceiling or, or excuse me, two and a half meter ceiling. Right. So, um, uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's the more extreme version. And we're actually still, still going through iterations of the club design, although we're really close and, um, you know, then we, then we'll have, we'll have the algorithms in the, in the code and everything. So that we, we know for, for that set of custom clubs, we know what club you're hitting because the other thing is, is we make the clubs a different relative distance, different relative length to the to the regular clubs. There's no reason. In other words, if you can, in other words, wow. if you can swing in a small room with a 32 inch long club, there's no sense making a 32 inch sand wedge or a 34 inch, you know, lob wedge rather, you know, 21 inches, you know, in right. you know, it's the same difference because it, you know what we found is there's kind of a break point around 29 inches or so where when you get lower than that, you know, you can't really make it feel realistic, but, but at like 29 and above, whether it's a sand wedge or a driver, you can make it feel like the real thing. So, so we have to, we actually have to adjust the, uh, the, uh, the adjustment for launch conditions, depending on what club you're using. Okay. So it's, it, it gets kind of complex, you know, in the, you know, in the code, but, but, it, but the end result, you get in there and you just have these shorter clubs and you don't worry about, you know, what they look like. You just play and, and everybody literally hundred percent that have been through it and done it say they can't tell the difference. Then they love it. Some people, some, if anything, they like it better. I like it better because to be honest, it's easier, you know, you, you know, it's easier to get on plane. It's easier to get the head, you know, where you want it all that kind of stuff. And actually, you know, it, it, you know, it helps me with my swing, you know, to play with the shorter club. So, and then we're going to do things, we're going to seriously gamify it in the future so that you can go in and play very seriously. Okay. But, uh, but at the gamified end, it might be a maximum of a six club set. And it's, you know, it'd be more like playing Mario brothers than, you know, it'd be Mario brothers got, you know, yeah, holes you can go in and go to another place and all kinds of funky well, that's, games. That, that's really that's really cool, actually. You know, it uh, and, and I mean, what a great way to promote and grow the game of golf too for those that don't play yet. That that might sort of kind of get them get them into one of your simulators to to play. Well, you're already you actually, Alex. You already see that happening. I mean, think about Top Golf. You know, I mean, I always said that 
that, you know, if I want to go someplace where there aren't any golfers around, I'll go to Top Golf because, you know, I mean, most of the people that go there just go there casually. And it's a different game. You know, you, you know, it doesn't require your, you know, normal golf skills, you know, to for their games they play to get the points. I mean, you know, you, you find yourself hitting funky shots, right? And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's derivative golf. Okay. Simulators are derivative golf. Nano is just another derivative golf. We're working with a, with a new startup. That's, that's going to compete against, um, uh, top golf, but, and, but th- what you do with a golf club is entirely different than anything you've ever seen before. Another derivative golf, you know, and the national golf foundation, the U S national golf foundation, which also studies Canada, um, came out with some data late last year this where uh they revealed at the symposium uh that today or as of that point they said they they don't call them derivative golfers i think that's the way the term should be but they call it off course golfers okay now you know th- there are today in the united states 36 million golfers they say by their however they measure okay right. 24 million of those play on course and 24 million play off course and 12 million play on course only and 12 million play off course only. That's Consider that. that. That's, that's quite the statistic that nobody, you know, and, and, you know, people, you know, people have been talking about that, but, but I haven't heard anybody sort of do the math and say, you know, what that really means is that in the last 15 years, golf participation on course in, in North America hasn't really grown. It may have actually contracted a little, a little. Now it's starting to grow a little bit, but off course golf has grown between three and four fold. Yeah. Like exponentially it's, it's yeah. really, it's really taken on. I mean, even top golf, you know, they're starting to see that there's, you know, the same kind of thing where invitation is the most sincere form of flattery, you know, where there's other, other similar type venues popping up on the, you know, on the, on the hollowed grounds that are, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. environments. I right. can't think of another way to put it, but uh, no, that, that's well, an no, amazing number. I'll put it for you. Golf is the most exclusionary industry in the world, other than extreme terrorism. You know I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, think about it, you know, I mean, it's, I would say less exclusionary in Canada than in the United States, but but, you know, you know, you know, women have always struggled with go- on the golf course, poor golfers, kids. And of course, then you get into lower socioeconomic, you get into color, you get into religion, you know, country yes, clubs, yeah. that sort of thing. You know, I mean, it's it's highly exclusive. I mean, even, you know, consider, you know, um, you, you know, you go into, you know, you go into a good retailer you know, they're going to, they're going to roll out the red carpet and say hello and this and that you go into golf, you go into a golf course. It's like soft spikes, only shorts, no more than four inches above the knee collared shirts. Can't tee off on the back nine, keep your pace. You know, it's like, it's It's like regimented, you know, like prison or something, you know, it's like, getting on an airplane, you know, like, you know, uh, don't do this. Don't do that. You know, buckle your seatbelt. put on your mask, whatever it might be. So, I mean, the golf, golf, the game is a wonderful thing, but golf, the industry still has an immense amount to learn about how to take care of your customer. <laughs> so that's why I yeah. love the likes of top golf. That's why I love indoor golf centers. Cause they're, you know, the, the, they don't have all those rules go. It's like ha- the rule is have fun, spend yeah. money, you know? And, and you know what, actually 
if people that actually played golf and, and went on the golf course and they actually focused on having more fun, they'd be getting more enjoyment and probably play better golf in the first place too. You yeah, know, well, it, it's amazing it, how they go hand in hand, those two things. They do. Think about, I mean, think, I mean, I mean, think about like, again, I mean, I mean, I played a lot of golf in Canada and I can't say I, I've run into this in Canada, but you know, it, you know, at least here we have all these, you know, they have so-called marshals, right. And, you know, and the marshals, what the, mar so what do the marshals do? They come up, they'll they say speed up, or they say, if you can't speed up, you're going to have to pick up your ball and go to the next hole. Why don't they say, how about park when you go drive your cart up here and then, you know, and then, you know, and then right when you write you down, wait till you get to the next tee to write down your scores. Why don't they just teach them how to get around the golf course? Why do they have to just call them schmucks? You know, you know what you and you hit a very good point because uh, I'm a former director of golf. I've, you know, worked, yeah. you know, at the club level for a long time yeah. now. Well, not a yeah. long time, but say about 11, 12 years. And the one thing that I was told any of my marshals or starters is, you know what, your educators out here. You're not to be the guy that goes out there that we hear about, well, you know, the marshal like wrote, wrote our ass the whole time going around the course. You know, they're they're honest, they ruined our day. No, you're you're about educating. You know what? Park the cart right. parallel to the, you know, adjacent to the to the pin, all that kind of stuff. Like you're educators. You, you know, oh I always oh, see you hit a nerve because you're you know what? You're you're at you're at you're absolutely correct. You know, I feel the same way about it. <laughs> I, I always, I always, I always said, I said they ought to get rid of the marshals and just have the drink cart girls do it because, because they know how to get, they work for tips, you know, they, they, yeah. they, they know how, they know how to interact with customers, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's, that, that always been, I remember, you know, I don't know, I'm reminded of a time of, I was with a group of, you know, eight of us and we we're on a little, on a golf trip and we got on this golf course and it was, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not lying. We're talking about seven hour round. I remember we, there was a big break in the action. We got behind these really slow stuff guys on like the third hole and, um, uh, and it was way backed up. So I said to my friends, let's sit the, the fourth tee or the seventh tee was open. It was right across. Right. So I said, let's go over the seventh tee. We played the seventh hole four times because it was, we couldn't get on eight because it was a par three backed up. We yeah. played the seventh hole four times before anybody came up from six, you know, and then by the time we got to the, to the 11th hole, you know, our, our friends were in front of us or the other, our other guys. So I said, well, let's just play eight. Right. And we're waiting on every single sh shot playing eight. Right. Oh. And then the pro came out and said, you guys got to break up. I said, why we're waiting on every single shot. You know, yeah. we're not holding anybody up. You know, no, you have to play. You can't play eight. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, I, I get the can't play eight thing. But yet, on the other hand, should it be you can't play eight or should it be if you keep up? What's the problem? You well, that, that's the thing. I think ultimately, you know, uh, it's about how a particular golf course manages their golf course. That's yeah. what I that's what I think. That's where it really comes into play you know i mean you know we're sort of kind of going into a little bit of golf office talk which is totally okay because everything's free game here at t-box chatter but uh you know you're you're right you know and I, i've heard of cases where eight sums you know they they can get more golf than than a slow foursome or dare i say well, a twosome. 
absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, it just depends. And it's not, it's not, it's not a sex thing. I mean, it's not a good golfer, bad golfer thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, some, I, some of the fastest golfers I know have never broken a hundred, you know, and some of the fastest golfers I know are women. There's no, but, but there, you know, there's this misconception. The women are slow. The kids are slow. The hackers are slow. That's not, that's not the way it works. But if you want to segue back to indoor golf, there, I I think there are a lot of indoor golfers that are playing indoors because they can't stand the, the slow play outdoors. You know, and that's another very valid point. And let's face it, you know, a lot of people, they don't do heat well, too, in the, in the dog days of summer. You, right. you know, so, I mean, again, that's that's just another reason why indoor golf is getting to be bigger. Uh, admittedly, like, I've never been a huge sim guy. Uh, you know, that's sort of something that's slowly evolved and changed over time kind of thing. Again, going to the PGA show, you know, and experiencing those different uh, simulators down there but uh you know it there's definitely a place in the golf industry for indoor golf to be a part of the conversation there is no doubt it has such a long you know i mean it has come a long way it's come an incredibly long way over the last 20 years relative to accuracy and um I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't think the advance in like computer graphics is, is that significant to it, but it, you know, it's certainly nice that you, you know, that you have these really high resolution graphics and it's really nice that you have, you can, you know, that um, really high resolution widescreen uh, projectors have become much more affordable and have come into the market. Um, You know, it, you know, there's, there's a lot there's a lot of great stuff, you know, that's happened in the simulator industry, but there are two things. Well, there's three. I mean, I think there's a whole lot more innovation that can take place across the board with all kinds of stuff to make it a more enjoyable experience. Watch out for clarity. You're going to see, you're going to see a whole new world of innovations in the coming couple, three years. But, but um, the other thing is that there's two, two major things. Okay. First of all, um, simulators are just tip you know the name brand simulators still are just radically overpriced and you know that's one of the things we do like clarity right now we we advise anybody for free uh, sounds like an ad but i think it's, it's no, salient. That, that's fine that's what this avenue yeah. is for for you yeah we we advertise it we, we we advise anybody for free and we we obviously have a significant amount of knowledge the other thing you know a lot of that has to do is advising them on how to how to create their space if we get them soon enough you know sadly so many of them we have to show them how to adapt to an ill-planned space i would say that's the biggest problem you see in people like residential simulators they build out these spaces or they have these rooms and they say well i'm going to put a simulator in there you know, and it's like, it's time, you know, it's low ceiling or, yep. or, you know, yep. way too short or something like that. Um, you know, that's a, that's, that's a really big issue, but the, that, but then the other, the other, I think major issue uh, with simulators where simulators could be really seriously superior to outdoor golf. And that's if there was a broad expanse of wonderful content. What I mean by, I mean, you have golf courses, but, and you have data collection and all that, but I mean, but I'm talking about if, you know, if you could go in and, 
you know, get a virtual lesson from David Ledbetter, you know, and have it be better than if David was there himself, because what David has taught the system is more than he can even see himself in an interaction, you know, and think about a golf pro, you know, how, how, how much better a golf pro's life would be if they had these tools that would help them along, especially mediocre golf pros. Okay. For teaching, you know, because there are a lot of mediocre golf pros. 95 to 98% of club fitters are mediocre, you know? So, I mean, if you had wonderful content, you know, you know, it would, it would just open up a whole new world. And I have just seen no content hardly at all being developed. And that is a huge thrust of ours. And I can't wait, you know, I can't wait to get out stuff we've got, but fortunately it takes, takes time to, you know, to build Rome, so to speak. But um, I think that'll really transition. I used to tell my team, you know, back in uh, at the old, you know, I about golf was doing incredibly well. When I left in 2010, my successors didn't do very well. I went back for six months, uh, kind of fixed it and then turned it over to, you know, the wrong guys again. But, but I, but that's, that's a, just a funny business story. But, but, you know, when I went back in 2012, I brought everybody together and I, I actually went in all by myself with some graphics tools and I got a picture of an old fashioned Coke machine that said Coca-Cola in that old Coca-Cola font. And I got the Coca-Cola font and I changed it to about golf and I put about golf on the Coke machine, you know, had these, you know, little dory open in the slots for the different beverages. And I said, and I put big, that big, a big thing up on the, you know, on the, on the screen in, in our meeting. And I, I said, you see that he goes, he said, our simulator is a vending machine and we need to fill up all those slots with pop bottles of different shapes and sizes, you know, because that's the future of, of golf simulators. It's like, you know, it's the same thing as if you have an I, I, iPad without any apps, you know, what's an iPad without apps. We need apps. Okay. Yep. And I gave him a list of about 30 or 40 <laughs> ideas for, you know, apps and stuff. And, um, but I, I couldn't stay, you know, cause of the family thing. And I, and I, and I left and my successors abandoned all of it. So it's, <laughs> that was 10 years ago. So wow. here we are now picking up where we left off. Oh, I love it. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to, uh, we're getting pretty close to the end of our time here. Um, so first of all, I just want to say thank you for joining me today on T-Box Chatter. I really hope, Bill, that we can do this again down the road. Sure. Um, now, for anyone that wants to learn about Clarity Golf, where can they find you, whether it's social media, whether it's your website, where can they find you? Uh, the, the easiest way is just clarity.golf or you can go to claritygolf.com, either one, uh, or uh, Bill Bales, B as in boy, A-L-E-S, just Bill Bales at clarity.golf. Send me an email. Uh, if you go to the website, my phone number is there as well. No, it's, it will be on the website. It's not there yet, but my phone number will be on the website soon. But just email me. I get all the mail. I answer all the mail. I, you know, I'm on email whenever I'm not sleeping. So just let me know. And, and for all free advice, I help a lot of DIY guys, you know, that, that aren't ever going to buy anything, but they, and they're always educated. And it's always a fun conversation and it's really easy to answer the questions. And they're generally really thankful and they send me notes afterwards. So it doesn't matter. You don't have to spend any money. If you just want to ask, send me a note. 
Well, folks, th there you are. So please, by all means, go have a look at Bill Bells and Clarity Golf. Uh, so once again, Bill, thank you so much for joining me today on T-Box Chatter. It's great to have you. And like I said, I would love to do this with you again. Thanks, Alex. Next time, let's talk about sailing the North Channel. <laughs> sounds like a plan. Playing golf. I, you, <laughs> well, you, I got to be honest, though. I mean, I'm looking at that chart. I've been looking at that chart on your wall there for the last hour or so. <laughs> yeah, that. what is that? Oh, yeah, that's Lake George. That's, that's where I used to live, right there. I love it. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. cool. Oh, goodness. Okay, so I'll stop the recording there.